listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. This morning, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles uh, with me to, to Luke 8. And what we're doing here this morning is we're, we're moving into a new section of, of the Gospel of Luke. Um, some people will call this the Tour section. That's T-O-U-R section of Luke. It's Luke 8 and, and the bulk of Luke chapter 9. And in this section of Luke... Um, What Luke does for us is he just gives us little snippets of the ministry of Jesus in different towns and in different villages. So Jesus is ministering in and around uh, the region of Galilee in that area. And so Luke will just show us he moves into this town, this village, teaches here. Sometimes he heals. It's kind of this back and forth of teaching and healing. And it's all in preparation for Jesus turning his face in Luke 9.51 towards Jerusalem and beginning that walk to Jerusalem which is to the cross. The highlight, the high point of this section is going to be Peter's confession when Peter proclaims Jesus to be God's Christ or the Son, the Son of God's. But this morning we begin to walk our way through um, this section, the tour section of Luke. And what I want to tell you right now is kind of the the point of this all, because it is 21 verses, you might be stressed out about that. The point of it all is simply this, and I will go to verse 21 of Luke 8. And Jesus answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. That is my point. That is Jesus' point. That those who believe in the gospel, those who believe in the good news of the kingdom of God show themselves, prove to others that they are members of the kingdom of God by hearing and obeying the word of God. Now, there's, there's three examples of that this morning. One will be service, so gospel-fueled service, a gospel-fueled heart, and using the gospel as we're supposed to use the gospel. And I will unpack all three of those for us this morning. But if you leave with nothing else this morning, I want you to understand that those who believe in the gospel show themselves to be members of the kingdom of God, show themselves to be true believers who are gripped by the power and the beauty of the gospel by hearing and obeying the word of God's. And by hearing, I mean you, you ponder it. It's not in one ear and out the other. You, you hear it and you, you meditate on it and you let it percolate in your hearts. And then it fuels your obedience. So let me read for us Luke 8, verses 1 through 21. And then I will pray for us. And then we will have fun this morning in the Word of God. And I would ask you to please... If you are able to please stand for the reading of God's words. <clears throat> Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God's, 
and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna. And, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to see him, Jesus said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seeds, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. As it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfolds. As Jesus said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him, about, asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of gods. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of gods. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no roots. They believe for a while and in the time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hear the words, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the lights. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, will be taken away. When Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, they could not reach him because of the crowds. And Jesus was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Jesus answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to be here I thank you for the gift of your words. Lord, it is my prayer that we are hearers of your words. And that out of love for you, for the grace and mercy that you have shown us, we are obedient to your words. And we put your word into practice. Help us, Lord, to that end this morning. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. 
verses 1 through 3. And we could linger. So here's, here's, the, here's the challenge of all of this um, is that I, I could have broken this down into smaller sermons probably, but it would have been maybe a little bit more clunky. Um, and so I said, well, we'll just try to tackle this all in one shot. Um, so we'll tackle this all in one shot. Service. Gospel-fueled service. We read in those first three verses that Jesus now is continuing to go through cities and villages. And he's proclaiming and bringing, and that's very emphatic, by the way. He's proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God's. So what Luke is telling us is that if you don't get, catch anything else about the teaching ministry of Jesus, he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God's. Blessed are the poor, for there shall be the kingdom of God, Luke 6.20. That was Jesus' message over and over and over. And as usual, as Jesus was moving throughout the region, he had crowds following him. And those crowds were made up of a variety of people. There would have been those who were, were absolutely sold on who he was, and they believed in him, and they were following him, hanging on his every words. There were those that were there that were still trying to figure him out and understand him better. They hadn't made a decision one way or another. There would have been those who were traveling with him that were just there for the spectacle of it all. There's an entertainment value in following this man around. He heals people. He rebukes Pharisees. You should check this guy out. But we we're told by Luke that there were women that were traveling with him. And, and Luke, out of, more than Matthew and Mark and John, will draw attention to the fact that, that women were actively involved in the ministry of Jesus, that they too were for following him, which would have been extremely unique in that culture and in that time frame. It was a very male-dominated society, and to have women traveling and not be in the home and working around the home would have been very, very unique and rare. But that's what we see happening. And Luke mentions three of them by name, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. Now, we know quite a bit about Mary Magdalene. We know a little bit more about uh, Joanna. We really just know Susanna's name. But all three of them were actively following Jesus and providing for the ministry of Jesus out of their means. Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out. And that emphasizes a lot of debate about what that means. For our purposes this morning, it means that whatever healing had taken place was very, very significant in the life of Mary, to the point where she believed who Jesus was and what he came to do, and now she's following him. And the other gospels will talk about Mary as, as she, that she followed Jesus from Galilee and ministered to him. And that's in the book of Matthew. We know that Mary Magdalene watched the crucifixion of Jesus. She was there at the cross. We know that Mary Magdalene was sitting opposite the tomb of Jesus when Joseph of Arimathea was laying his body in the tomb. We know that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb Easter Sunday morning. We know that the risen Jesus appeared to her, John 20. Remember, she didn't recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. Until he spoke her name, Mary, and then she knew who it was. And then she runs and tells the other disciples that she's seen the risen Jesus. That's Mary Magdalene. Joanna, she's the wife of, of Chusa. 
And Herod's house, he's Herod's household manager. Like the, the significance of this, we, we can kind of, kind of gloss over this sometimes, but if we pause for just a moment and think about what that meant, that the gospel had now broken into the religious, or excuse me, the Roman establishment. It had broken into one of the highest levels of Roman society and Roman culture. Joanna, the wife of Chusa. Chusa worked in, the, in, in, the administra- in an administrative role in Herod's households. He was not some low-level employee. But Joanna had heard Jesus teach. She had heard the good news of the kingdom of God's. And she'd been moved by it. She believed it. And in response, she travels with Jesus and provides for his ministry. The wife of a Roman administrative official in the household of Herod's. Susanna. That's all we know. There's nothing else in Scripture that talks about who this Susanna is except for she was working side by side with Joanna and Mary and other women serving Jesus and supporting the ministry of Jesus. You see, like that unnamed woman last week who had, who, whose faith had saved her, and when she understood the repentance that she had received, she went to Jesus and she cried and washed Jesus' feet with her tears. She dried them with her hair. She was kissing his feet. She was anointing them with oil. Like that woman, these three women and others had experienced the saving power of Jesus and had came to believe in the good news of the kingdom of God. And in response, they go with him and they they travel with him and they provide for Jesus and for those who are with him out of their, their means. And they may have been wealthy, We know at least one of them had a pretty significant influence, Joanna, but that didn't matter. They were there to support and contribute to the ministry of Jesus and his message that he was proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. It's gospel-fueled service. And these women were an example to those in that group, in that crowd that would have been following Jesus. They're an example to us that as we have opportunity, God gives us opportunity to serve him. God has blessed us in so many different ways. We have time to give. We have talent to give. We have treasure to give. Are we using those things for the furthering of the kingdom to support gospel ministry? Not just here in Damerscott and Newcastle and Midcoast, Maine, but, but around the world. <laughs> we have the Living Nativity. There's ways that you can get involved with the Living Nativity. And, and here's, here's, the, here's the beautiful thing about this. Like, we, we, this church loves to serve. <laughs> like, and so we, we, you love to just roll up your sleeves and do things, and that is so good. Living Nativity is one way that we, we can continue to do that. And we think in a couple weeks, on December 3rd, we're going to be collecting the Lottie Moon offering. 
right? And, and that's just that, that the offering on that Sunday goes to support the gospel ministry around the globe through the international mission boards. Right? These are ways that we can serve the ministry of the gospel because we understand what we've received, the forgiveness we've received through Christ, and so we want to share that and support that in any way possible so others can have that same experience we've had. And that's what these women are doing. It's an example for us, gospel-fueled service. The largest part we're going to deal with is verses 4 through 15, right? This, this is the parable of the sower or the parable of the seeds. Gospel-fueled heart check. <laughs> we read again, Luke draws attention to the fact that the large crowds were gathering. And so think of it just, again, put yourself there for just a moment, Right? And maybe you're one of those people who was traveling with Jesus because you, just, you, were, you were totally locked into his message. You, could not just, you couldn't get away from him. You were so gripped by his message and what he was saying that you just, you just had to be there with him. And so he's moving through this region. He's going into towns. And, and, and you notice he's getting close to a town, like there's a buzz that starts happening in the town. Right, and so people now from the town are trying to come out and meet Jesus. So the crowd's growing, and Jesus is there teaching and ministering. And then he goes and he's going on to the next town. And, and maybe there are some in that town that say, I'm, I'm sticking with this guy because I believe it. Maybe they're going because, like, well, the next town's pretty close. And, boy, man, the entertainment value is through the roof here. i got to go. So that the crowds are kind of growing and, and dwindling and growing. But, but all through all this, the crowd is indeed growing. But what this suggests to us is that some were following Jesus on a very superficial level. Right? They, they were interested, but they really weren't committed to him or to his message. They're, they're there for the entertainment value. And Jesus senses this and knows this, and so he tells them a parable. And a parable is just one of the ways that Jesus would teach truth to, to crowds and to people. He takes a very well-known situation, a well-known event, a well-known facet of their culture, of their society, and uses that to teach truth. And it's no different with the parable of, of the sower. In fact, they, they, they would have probably, they might have been actually watching a, a man sowing seed in a field. And, and for us, this would have taken place, by the way, in October through December. So like right now, this time of year, this would have been taking place in Jesus' day. But it would have been a very familiar scene to the crowds. They would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. They, they could see this farmer walking down this, this well-worn path through a field. Because there were these well-worn paths through all these fields. And over his shoulder, he has this big bag of grain. And, and he's putting his, his seed, and he's putting his hand in, and he's just kind of swinging it off to the right, left, swinging it off. To the right, and it's falling on the ground, it's falling on the path, it's falling out into the fields. They knew this. And Jesus says, well, this sower, he's going out sowing seed, and some of it falls on the path, and it's just trampled underfoot, and, and birds come down, and the birds are hanging out on the path, because that's the easiest place to get the seed, for Pete's sake. It's a free meal for the birds. But then some of it falls on the rock. And, and don't think about like just rocks like poking up in the fields. 
Because as they're sowing these fields, as he's sowing this field, there are spots in that field where, where the rock is really, really close to the surface. And there might only be like an inch or two of soil on top of the rock. That's the rock. And so when that seed hits there, it looks like it's in good soil, but there's no place for that seed to get any type of roots. And it withers and it can't get moisture. And some of the seed falls amongst the thorns. And the thorns grow up and, and choke it out. And so the thorns don't, always, don't only like crowd out the grain, but, but the root system of these thorns was pretty expansive underneath the ground, and you couldn't really see it. But the, the, the thorns would just take the nutrients out of the soil, and, and the, the grain, the wheat, would not be able to get any nutrients and would just wither. It would never really mature and grow. But then there's this seed that falls on the good soil, Jesus says, and, and, and it's, it yields a hundredfolds. A, a typical yield for, for, a, for a farmer back then would have been five to 15 folds. 10 being a really good year, 15 being an astronomical year. 10 being, hey, if we, we have a tenfold harvest here, we did good. Hundredfold, 10 times. It speaks to the blessing of God, the tremendous blessing of God. And as Jesus is telling this parable, he's telling the people, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And, and he's not saying this out, out of frustration. He's not saying this out of anger. He's saying this out of love and compassion for the crowds and for the people hearing this parable. It's, it's this loving, you better listen. Please, please hear what I'm saying to you. And, and this is, the disciples had this desire to, to, to grow and to understand. And so, so they asked Jesus in verse 9, what does this, what does this mean? Right? The disciples know Jesus well enough to know that he wasn't giving an agricultural lesson here. That there's something deeper going on. Kind of like when Jesus told the parable of the debtors. They knew it wasn't an economic lesson. That there's something deeper going on here. He's teaching us something. And they're trying to put their fingers on it. And so they ask him, what does this parable mean? And then Jesus tells them, hear, hear these words. If you're one of those disciples who's there and asking him this, you can see Jesus looking up at them and saying, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. What a powerful statement. And the majority of the verbs in that statement are all in the passive. So that tells these men who are hearing this that it is God who has given you the ability to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. God is doing this work in your hearts and in your minds so you can understand and know the secrets of the kingdom of God. And these aren't secrets that, that God is just kind of squirreling away and hiding behind himself that no one else could know. No, these are things that God wants to know that he's actually revealed to his people and to his creation and to mankind. But to you, God has given you the ability to understand them and to know them. But to others, they are in parables. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. 
You see, the parables that Jesus teaches do two things. They, they either give us the ability to understand more about who God is and what He's doing, or they harden and create confusion. He's quoting from Isaiah 6, 9. This is after Isaiah's been commissioned by God. He's been in the temple, the throne room of the temple. The cherubim are flying around. He says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He was cleansed. He grabbed the the tongs and took a coal out of the fire and touched his lips. And God says, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And God will tell Isaiah that, okay, you're going, but by the way, people aren't going to listen to you. Their hearts are hardened towards me. They're going to keep on hearing, but not understand. They're going to keep on seeing, but not perceive. Your message that I'm going to give you to say, Isaiah, is going to fall on deaf ears. It's going to fall on hard, calloused, cold hearts. Because Israel had rebelled against their gods. They had rebelled against God's word, and now they face judgment. They're facing exile because they're refusing to respond to God and to his words. And so part of God's judgment was to harden their hearts in unbelief. It's chilling to think about. It's Romans 1, God gave them up. However, if we think about the larger context of Isaiah, right, there was always an opportunity to repent and to turn. And there was going to be a remnant. God was going to raise up a remnant. Although there was judgment coming because of their rebellion and their hard-heartedness, there was going to be a remnant who He would raise up So the judgment isn't comprehensive, but judgment is is coming. You see, that judgment doesn't mean that God's not going to be faithful to His promises. And that was the message of Isaiah to the people. It's Romans 11. Read Romans 11 this afternoon about the hardening of Israel so that the Gentiles could be grafted in. It's the timing of God, it's the sovereignty of God, it's the providence of God. And so by Jesus quoting Isaiah 6-9, he's giving them both a purpose, like listen, these parables are going to harden people's hearts in their unbelief, they have, they're so anti-God, I'm just going to hold them in their unbelief and continue to harden their hearts towards me, they want nothing to do with me anyway. It's a warning that that hardness and callousness towards God has a cost. And so to understand these parables, Jesus is saying it takes discernment. And oh, by the way, that discernment that you have, disciples, is God-given discernment. It's the work of the Spirit in your hearts and in your minds to understand. These parables will help you see those that are truly committed to me and to my ways and to the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, the gospel message that I am bringing, and those who are there for the show, and those who don't really care to grow spiritually and want to understand. Now this is the parable, Jesus says. There's seed that falls on the path. See, what what happens here, right? The the seed is the word of God. 
But, but, but the way that Luke is approaching this parable, and it's the same parable that Matthew tells and that, that Mark, Mark tells as well, but, but Luke takes it from a slightly different angle, like Matthew does and like Mark does. The seed is the word of God, and the soil is the condition of a person's heart. So some of the seed falls on the path. And those people, those, those path people, if you will, they're, they're hard and they're indifferent. These are the people that can, that can hear the good news of the kingdom of God. These are the people that you can share the gospel with many, many times. And it just always seems to fall flat and it never takes hold. And it's not because the message is wrong. It's not because it's being presented wrong. It's because it's a heart issue with them and they're cold and callous towards the things of God. And maybe they've had a bitter, a bitter experience in life. Maybe there's this unjustified prejudice towards God, that God did them wrong. And so they want nothing to do with him. Describes the people that are unwilling to turn away from their sin. They love their sin too much. Or maybe it's those who just are just cold and indifferent to spiritual truth and want nothing to do with God. God's word never is going to penetrate their mind, penetrate their conscience, let alone enter their, their hearts. And, and there's an enemy out there who, who loves this. <laughs> Satan. The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. It's exactly what the devil wants. The devil knows, Satan knows that the gospel brings salvation. Satan knows that the gospel brings life. Satan knows that the gospel brings healing. And the last thing he wants is salvation and peace and healing for anybody. And so he will pounce to make sure that that does not happen to those who have a hard, cold, and indifferent heart. And some of the seed, Jesus says, falls on the rocky soil. And, and these people will be described, their hearts are very shallow and very superficial. They're, they're, they're happy to hear it. Um, and they even, it, it seems to like give them life and they seem to get excited about, about the gospel. They, they appear to have a, a kind of faith. But it doesn't last because it's not root, there's no root structure underneath it. See, what Jesus says is that trouble comes, and they, they fall away. <laughs> they, they, they seem to be committed, but when the pressures of life and the realities of life get ratcheted up, they show themselves to not have any faith at all because, you know, true saving faith perseveres. And, and this, by the way, is why it is so important that when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about the Christian life, that we talk about the hardships and the realities of life. The Bible does. The Bible doesn't mince words on this. Neither should we. That, that this life, even though we are in Christ, is going to be marked with suffering and pain and hardship. I mean, we are walking in the footsteps of our suffering Savior, after all. We should expect nothing less than that. But we have a hope 
and that is Jesus and his gospel. Some of the, so- some of the seed falls in amongst the thorns. These are hearts that are preoccupied and distracted. The troubles and cares of this life, work, school, health, relationships. They, they can become so distracting that, that we, we forget to, to, to nurture our own soul and care for our own soul and spend time in the Word of God and spend time in prayer. The riches and, and pleasures of this world, the, the money and the, the materialism and the things that we can get, the status that we can get, the popularity that we can achieve, cloud our judgment. We become preoccupied and we become distracted. It's idolatry. We, we get so distracted by, by the things of this world and we're so willing to make time for everything else but time with our God and time to grow in our relationship with Him. And as a result, we don't become the men and women that God calls us to be. And if we bear any fruit at all, it, it, it doesn't mature. It really doesn't have any value. There's little use in the kingdom of God. Because we're, we're looking everywhere else and we're pursuing those things. And then there's, soil, then there's seed that falls on good soil. Those are people whose hearts are just in tune to to their gods. They hear the word of God. They hold it fast in an honest and good heart. And they bear fruit with patience. Patience can also be perseverance. It's a persevering faith. right? A a good heart is one that that stays rooted in God's word. And as a result of that, it's going to bear much fruit. You're in God's word on a regular basis. You're not just hearing it, you're, you're, you're hearing it, and you're, but you're, you're pondering it and you're thinking through, okay, what does this mean for me? You're believing what God's Word has to say about sin, but what God's Word has to say about salvation and forgiveness and hope. It's an honest heart. It's a heart that understands and has a desire to grow in the knowledge of their God and to grow in that relationship with their God. Which means we have to be honest about our sin and deal with our sin. it's, It's a good heart. And the only reason why it can even look slightly good is due to the grace of God in your life. And it's a patient heart. It's a heart that perseveres through life's trials without giving up on their God because He is faithful and He is true and He is right and He is good. It's a call to examine our hearts. What what, what is the soil condition of your heart? We are all in this parable somewhere. God's Word evaluates our hearts. How we respond to God's Word evaluating our hearts shows what we believe about God's words and the importance that it plays in our life. The Gospel has real and personal application to our lives. 
What does God's word say about you? What does the gospel say about you? <laughs> Growth, hope, encouragement, change. <laughs> he who has ears to hear, let him hear, Jesus says. Listen to what I'm saying. It's a gospel-fueled heart. <laughs> Verses 16 through 18, it, it, it's, it's using the gospel for its intended purpose. The, gen, the general point of those verses is this. If you have something useful, like a lamp, you use it. But you, you use it properly. Like if you have a lamp, you light the lamp. That's good. But you also don't light the lamp and stick it under your bed. That's not using it properly. You, you light the lamp and you put it on the table so people can see the light and it lights up the room. Right? You, you use it and you use it properly. It's, it's both. Jesus has just told this crowd and told the disciples specifically, right? If, if you have good hearts, it's by the grace of God. If you understand this parable, God has given you the ability to understand the secrets of God. You have a good heart. It's the work of God in your life. That means you need to hold on to his word. You need to hold on to my words and you will bear fruit. But listen, you need to put that word into practice. The truth of my word must be put to use. It's not intended to be hidden away and squirreled away and tucked under your bed or hidden under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. You're all thinking it. The disciples have been given the ability to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. Now what are you going to do with it? It's not enough to say or think that we are a Christian. The question is, are we living out what we say we are? We need to take and make good use of God's words and the truths that are in His word and apply them to our lives. Do we have an accurate understanding of who we are? in the sin that is still, we still battle in our lives? Are we quick to confess that sin and ask for forgiveness for that sin and repent and turn from that sin and continue to battle that sin by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit? Are we trusting in the finished work of Jesus? Are we living with humility? Because we don't deserve God's grace, we don't deserve His forgiveness, but He's given it to us. How can I be proud? I don't deserve it. Are we growing in our walk with the Lord? Are we being challenged by His Word? Are we loving one another? Are we loving others? Are we serving one another? Are we serving others? Are we forgiving one another? Are we forgiving others? Are we being compassionate to one another? Are we being compassionate to, to others? Are we generous? Are we persevering under trial? And are we waiting for the hope and the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? <laughs> if we know what the truth is, 
We are called to live by that truth. But Jesus answered them, my mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and who, who do it. And he warns them in verse 18 to take care how you hear. You can, you can hear, sometimes like I do, like I'll listen to things on the radio, I'll listen to podcasts and everything, and I'm just like I'm binge listening to podcasts and I'm not really, like I'm hearing it, but I'm not really hearing it. You know, and then I'll, then I'll hear something and be like, oh man, and I just like, I, I can't capture it, I can't go back and find it because I'm like, oh yeah, I remember hearing that somewhere. Or are you, you hearing it? Are you hearing truth? And are you pausing and letting that truth percolate into your hearts and get root there? Because the one who has, Jesus says, will be given more. Those who listen to Jesus, those who were following his word, those who were believing in the good news of the kingdom of God, who had put their faith in him and their faith had saved them. And they were beginning to grasp the secrets of the kingdom of God. They're, they're verse 15 people. <laughs> they're, they're making good use of God's words. And as they make good use of God's word, they will continue to grow in their understanding of God's word. And the relationship with their Lord and their God will be strengthened and will grow and will continue to bear fruit to a hundredfold. Versus the one who has not. And even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. There are those who, who think they have the truth, who think they know the truth, but they don't live it. They, they claim to be Christians, but there's, there's little fruit in any fruit. It's, it's very immature fruits. And, and they're not willing to really change the way that they're living. They're preoccupied. They're distracted. They're not making use of what God has given them. The light of the gospel has been hidden away. They're not applying it to their lives. And eventually they will be found out and they will lose everything. They think they have it, but they don't. And even what they think they have will be taken away. Depart from me, I never knew you. Those, my mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. Those who believe the good news of the kingdom of God show themselves to be members of the kingdom of God by hearing and obeying God's words.
the point is this. <laughs> if we do what Jesus says, if we're faithful and obedient to the word of God, if we're hearing it and we're obeying it, we're showing that we are true children of God. There's no greater privilege. There's no higher, higher privilege. There's no greater blessing than to belong to the kingdom of God through a relationship with Jesus. There's nothing greater than that. And so are we living our lives like that? Are we encouraging one another to, to live like that? Are we? That's what we're, we're called to do as, as children of God's. If, if we claim to be children of God, we will bear the resemblance of children of God's through the highs and through the lows and through all the in-betweens. Remember in the book of Hebrews that Jesus calls us his brothers. Here's a prayer of my own heart. I have an older brother, and by the way, older and brother, the O and the B are capitalized, who I love and who I admire, who, who laid down his life for me, who paid my sin debt, who paid the price for my sin, a debt that I couldn't pay, couldn't even begin to pay, there's nothing that I could do to even begin to earn favor with God. But this older brother laid down his life for me and paid that debt and took the wrath of God upon himself for my sin. I love him and I admire him and I, and I, and I want to, to be like him. I pray that God would continue to give me a heart to pursue the things of Jesus. I'll be quick to listen to what the Word of God has to say and to do what the Word of God has to say by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. That people will know that I am a child of God and I am a member of the kingdom of God by His grace and his grace alone. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your goodness. Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the forgiveness that we have through Christ. Lord, that we can look at those four soil types. We can look at our own heart and we can see where we have fallen short. We can see where we've missed the mark. We can see where we're distracted, perhaps.
And Lord, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. We can confess those sins to you. Christ has paid for those sins. There is forgiveness available for those sins. He shed his blood for my sin, to cover my sin, and to restore the relationship with you. Lord, may I have a gospel-fueled heart. Lord, may I always see the beauty and the power and the wonder of your gospel that is in your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others. And for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria. Thank you.